0: Okay, I don't know what's going on, but when my computer goes to sleep, the uh, PowerPoint and that have a tough time talking to each other. It is sure good to see everyone this morning. Thank you for being here. Um, I definitely want to echo Mark's uh, sentiments and encourage everyone uh, to be back this evening. Really looking forward to hearing what uh, Joseph is going to bring us and what we're going to learn from God's Word. That's one thing I know about Joseph, Joseph. He cares deeply about what God's word says, and so we're really, really looking forward to that. Want to uh, discuss this morning what uh, Joseph read for us in Mark chapter three, verses twenty-eight through thirty? This idea that there is an action blaspheming of the Holy Spirit that never has forgiveness. There's a lot of confusion that exists about this passage. Many are surprised to know that the Bible identifies a sin that will not be forgiven by God. Oftentimes, this passage is referenced as the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. The actual translation specifically stated is we will not be forgiven, and as such, that will be our topic this morning. Subtle things matter. And we will revisit why I'm not going to refer to the unpardonable sin and the unforgivable sin, but we're going to save that to the very end. But we're going to use the terms that we see in Mark chapter 3, never has forgiveness, or in Matthew chapter 12, it will not be forgiven him. To have a better understanding of how this is thought about, And discussed, I conducted an unscientific survey over the last couple weeks. I talked to a bunch of people about this specific passage. I wanted to first see how many knew that this passage actually existed in the scriptures. I wanted to see if people understood that in the Bible there was a sin that could be committed and not be forgiven. The result was not surprising most had never heard of this passage and a vast majority of the groups that would consider themselves generally as religious were confused why would god not forgive them if they repented there were others that were even confused by the context of mark 3 and mark matthew chapter 12 does god Want to? Um, doesn't God want to forgive everybody? I had one person ask. Absolutely, absolutely. We know this, and I took them to Second Peter chapter three and verse nine. And in Second Peter chapter three and verse nine, we know the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing. That any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But I didn't stop there. I took them to the Old Testament. And when we look in Psalm chapter 86 and verse 5, we read, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who who call upon you. God clearly states his desire that no not one soul desire that not one soul would perish. And that the Lord is good and that he is ready to forgive as we see in Psalm 86. He doesn't want any to receive eternal damnation. But we know that there's a fact, a fact that Jesus stated In Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, we know and understand that many, sorry, that there will be few that follow the narrow path. So in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, we read Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there be few. Who find it? As I was doing this unscientific study, there were others that seemed to get confused about this idea of levels of sin. And from this study and just a quick reading of uh, history of this idea, it doesn't take you long to figure out that it originates um, with the Roman Catholic Church, and that there are two classifications. And I, I didn't know all the details around. Venial sins versus mortal sins, but just for a quick recap Venial sins by the Roman Catholics are taught that to be uh, are to be worked on But do not have to be confessed to a priest versus the mortal sins Which must be confessed to a priest and if it isn't the sin is considered deadly to a person's entrance to heaven For sin is to be considered mortal. It has to be a serious sin that was predetermined and willfully done. First of all, we must recognize that not only the Roman Catholic Church, but there are a wide variety of religious groups that hold to this categorization of looking at sins that some are just uh, slap on the wrist. That's that's not that big a deal. And other sins are known. Those are the sins that we would... Um, take uh, more seriously and we need to be careful because sometimes we can look at someone that says oh that person just lied i really like them that's okay we don't need to correct that oh but if they murdered somebody we're going to jump on there and come at them quickly and and we need to be consistent sin is sin and that's that's important for us to understand the bible even tells us of this when we look at uh revelation chapter 20 and verse 8 if there's any doubt, if there's any confusion, if you ever talk to anyone, go to Revelation 21.8 and we see, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, adulterers, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. A liar and a murderer both end up in the same place. So that causes confusion, and I believe there's some confusion by some of these ...terms that man have given to the passage we looked at, and like I said, we will return to that. If anyone is listening through the variety of ways that these lessons get produced and and sent out, if you want to know more about sin, um, mid-last year we had this lesson on abhorring sin. And it talks about the details of Bible's view of sin and this overarching principle that we need to abhor, flee, and resist sin in all of its forms. We don't need to be participants in that. So in Mark chapter 3, 28 through 30, as we read this morning, is that the only place we read of an action or an activity, such as blaspheming of the Spirit as it was referenced in Joseph's Scripture reading, that will not be forgiven? And the answer to that is no. There's also a passage in Matthew chapter 12 verse 31 through 32 that in the same context, in the same manner, leads to the same conclusion and the statements provided in Matthew chapter 12 verse 31 and 32. And I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at that in a little more detail. It says, therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Either in this age or the age to come. And we're going to look at this context. And it's very important to understand the context. What leads to these two verses? reference in Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 3 are in the context of Pharisees attacking Jesus in a variety of ways and we're going to look into those ways here shortly there's another passage that we did not read and I'm not going to go through the entire detail of this but mark it down go back and read it and we're going to come back and reference this in just a moment in Luke chapter 12 8 through 12 whereas The other two passages were Pharisees attacking Jesus. That is not the context of what we read here in Luke chapter 12. In verse 10, we read, And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. It comes from a different context. In this context, it's that the Holy Spirit was teaching the apostles the truth. And again, we're going to tie all this back in, but we're setting the, the foundation. There are three main significant passages with very, very similar wording. Blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and it that sin will never be forgiven. Okay? So as we read right here, blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven so that's the foundation we have three main passages to look at to help us unpack what this means we're going to use the bible to help us do that not man not a book not another teacher we're going to go to scriptures just like we do every day in our personal studies we cannot forget the importance Let's start going back to Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Matthew chapter 12, 1 through 8. At this time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest and the temple profane the Sabbath and are, and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifices, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What were the Pharisees doing? They stated that his disciples unlawfully picked heads of grain. In verse 7, Jesus set this record straight. He says, you would not have condemned the guiltless. The truth is they had not sinned. They only broke a rule. They only broke a tradition that man had established, that the Pharisees had established. And in doing so, they placed a boundary that God had never placed. And Jesus was clarifying that. But notice when we go to the next thing that happens. These Pharisees didn't give up easy. They're looking to trap Jesus. They aren't liking who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And so when we read verses 9 through 14, we see, now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogues. Whose synagogues? The Pharisees we were just talking about. And behold, there was a man who had withered hand. And they asked him, who's they? The Pharisees asked Jesus, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And that they might accuse him. They're trying to set a trap. not the first time they did, it. not the last time we're going to read of them doing it. Then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out of of how much more value than is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to this man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And it was restored as the whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him that they might destroy him. This is also found parallel in Mark chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Jesus is presented with another challenge by the Pharisees as it says so they might accuse him at the end of verse 10. This time it involved the healing of a man's withered hand on the Sabbath. Jesus shows in verse 12 that this is not a that it was not a sin to do good on the Sabbath, and in verse 13 he heals the man. What were the Pharisees' response? They had been shown twice now clearly that they were not enforcing the word of God from the Old Testament correctly. Did they express gratitude to Jesus for helping them? Did they realize that they were wrong and said, okay, we need to repent. We are we are not doing this right. No. In verse 14, we read, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. That Greek word for destroy there is not some of the things we read about in the Old Testament, even the New Testament, like a, a scourging or a, uh, a persecution, and, and you come out and you just need time to heal, but you'll be okay. Now that word destroy there, it means to literally kill. They went out to plot on how to kill Jesus. They weren't appreciative of being shown that their traditions and their way of looking at the Old Testament and all of these books that were written beyond the standards of God We're not right. No, they didn't they didn't take that moment and that opportunity to repent. They got more angry. They went to attack Jesus and kill him. Let's skip to Matthew chapter twenty two twelve twenty two, sorry. Chapter twelve, verse twenty two, and we're going to read what leads up to the sin of blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. So let's read twenty two through thirty. Then one was brought to him who was demon possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw and all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. This is when the uh, this passage is when the pharisees catch back up to jesus and now make the statement that jesus is being is associated with beelzebub the ruler of the demons as we see at the end of verse 24 in mark chapter 3 it also leads right up to the scripture reading that we had this morning from 28 through 30 in mark chapter 3 22 through 27 we have the same account again the pharisees are making illogical points they're the ones that should now should know, sorry, that Jesus had been sent from God. Notice in verse 27 what it says. And that they're instead stuck to their ways and they can't. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus is laying out that this is illogical. Why would Satan do this to himself? In verse 27, Jesus makes it very personal by asking how Jews have cast out demons. Were they connected to Beelzebub also? Notice in verse 30, which leads to our question of what is involved with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus states, he who is not with me is against me. This is what happening with the wheat, with the healing, and now with the demons. The Jews were against Jesus because they rejected Jesus. They rejected the truth he brought and instead cling to the traditions, their own way of life. As we look at Matthew chapter twelve verse thirty-one and Mark three twenty-eight through thirty, what do we see and what have we learned? We first see um, that the Jews were not with Jesus, and verse thirty it clearly said they were against Jesus. So that they are rejecting Jesus and his ability to perform these miracles. What were they really rejecting? They were rejecting the truth and the salvation that was being brought forth. What is blasphemy? Thayers would define it as slander to speak against, detraction, speech, injurious to another's good name. We see that blasphemy as we're looking at in this passage is very similar to how we would use the word today. And this gets us to the point that we need to understand and the connection. Why the Holy Spirit? When it gets to that point, what is transpiring? So let's go to Isaiah 61 and verse 1. In Isaiah 61 and verse 1 The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. What does it start off in chapter 61 with? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Who is um, the spirit upon? And that's a reference to Jesus. We go to Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 and we read how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. What is being said in these two verses? We know that Jesus is God, so we would not conclude that Jesus didn't have power divine power. That wouldn't make sense. What we see in these two verses is that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are working together. Furthermore, we know what Jesus would do as He is ready to depart and who He would send after Him. The Holy Spirit. We go to John. Let's look at chapter 16 for a moment. In John chapter 16, starting in verse 7, we see Jesus saying, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is of advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus needed to depart so that the spirit could be with them. But what was the purpose? Let's go to verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit would reveal the truth. The complete picture would be finalized. But why couldn't Jesus tell them? Let's back up one verse. Let's look at verse 6. I'm sorry, I didn't put it up on the board. So if you go back to one verse in John chapter 16 and verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you can not bear them now. The New Testament wasn't going to be completed with Jesus. He wasn't going to give everything that we have today. He responsibility laid with the Holy Spirit. Jesus would leave, he would send the Holy Spirit, the completed will of God, and the understanding would be revealed, written down, and that's what we have today. Remember in Luke chapter 12, we didn't read that passage, we just focused on a couple key verses. But look at what it says in verse 12 of Luke 12. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit is doing what John was telling us would happen. The Holy Spirit is revealing the truth to the apostles. The Pharisees were actively rejecting the Son of God, just like we read about, just like Jesus said they would be doing in the parable of the vine dresser. That's found in Matthew chapter 12, sorry, Matthew 21, 33 through 46, Mark chapter 12, 1 through 12. And Luke twenty nine through nineteen, and we're not going to read those that parable, but we remember the point of that parable, and that is that the wicked vine dressers were doing and rejecting the Father, which is God, and the prophets, His servants, and what were they going to do to His Son when He was sent? They were going to kill Him. We just read in Matthew chapter twelve verse fourteen when he healed the man's withered hand, what did they try to do? What did they seek to do? To destroy. What was that word we said was destroy? To kill. So this is all playing out. This is all being documented. It is being referenced, and it matches in every single place that we have discussed and read this morning. And so in doing so, sorry, and this is the point. The Holy Spirit brings forth the complete testimony of God. The New Testament. If an individual chooses to speak against, to blaspheme, to slander, to reject the Holy Spirit, they are actually speaking and rejecting the last will and testament. They are refusing the very forgiveness that is being offered. And in doing so, they cannot be forgiven. There's nothing else. They have rejected the sacrificial lamb. The only thing that could pay the debt of sin. They've turned their back on the New Testament, the Final Testament. There's nothing left that will redeem us. There's no action we can take on our own merit. And the consequences is that they will not be forgiven. With this understanding, it helps us, I believe, understand what is being said in 1 John 5. And because of time, we're not going to read all of this, but there's a point that many, many people kind of just narrowly focus in on and again start taking things out of context. But look at what in verse... Uh, 16 we see highlighted in blue and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death there is sin leading to death but if we back up just like we did with the other passages we looked at and we look at the context and go to first john chapter 4 and verse 2 What are we hearing and seeing there? What is the foundation of that this passage is being written under in the context? By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. We see the exact same issue being highlighted by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that is, if an individual is going to reject the Holy Spirit revelation about Christ, the person is rejecting the only way to obtain forgiveness And therefore, will continue in sin, not turn their lives around, and be lost. So as we conclude, why don't we use the phrase, unforgivable sin, or the word, unpardonable sin? First of all, my simple response to that is, it's not in the Bible. And so I did what any one of y'all would do and look at a coordinates of some sort we all have different uh, methods of getting there and I've put two well there's supposed to be two (laughs) again it's glitching again Um, see if we'll get it this time there we go so unforgivable sin and so what I like about this particular source is it looks at all of the major translations that are available So if there was another translation, you see I have a New King James Version, but if it was in the um, New American Standard, or the King James, or the ESV, it would actually reference underneath there, oh, it's not in this translation, but that word would exist in another translation. It's a thought that comes from man, and I particularly prefer to stick with Bible names for Bible things, and that's why our lesson is titled, Never has forgiveness because I can point to a passage and that's what it says. The truth of the matter, uh, as we've seen this morning, is that God is ready to forgive all who will come to him, who will repent and turn their life back to him. That's what we read in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. That's what we've seen about the character of God back in Psalms 86 for 5, that he is good and ready to forgive. So that is who God is. The problem is, and the warning that is being presented here, is that God is holy. And we must submit to God. If we reject the New Testament revealed Word of God, that is the redemption made possible by His Son, and the reveal, the completed revealed Word by the Holy Spirit, there is nothing that can redeem you. You are refusing the very forgiveness offered. As we conclude, I think Numbers chapter 15, and I've put it up on the board, Numbers 15, 30 through 31, helps tie all this together in just as good as two verses could possibly do. So Numbers chapter 15, verse 30 and 31, we read, But the person who does anything presumptuously or defiantly, whether he is native born or a stranger, that one brings reproach on, that is blaspheming the Lord. And he shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him. I've highlighted a couple of the words and I've underlined a couple of the words in these two passages or verses. Notice first, the slander of the Lord, the reproach on, the blaspheming. Who did that come from? In some translations, it's presumptuously and others defiantly. Does that give us an idea of the type of person we're looking at or thinking about that is blaspheming the Lord, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, what is involved in that? Despising the word of the Lord. They are despising what God has said and has broken his commandments. Is that a re- description of a repentant individual who commits a sin of any type? It even says in um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, you blaspheme the son but you can repent of that there would be the complete reveal that comes these pharisees look at the context again the pharisees were actively speaking out against slandering rejecting the son of god but they still had hope because the completed word would be delivered and they had the ability to accept that even after Jesus' crucifixion, they had the ability to accept that. Isn't that what we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38? Isn't that what Peter's first sermon is and the conclusion of the whole matter? And some did. But those that didn't, there wasn't another revealing, another testimony that would be brought forth. I hope. That helps for some be a good review, for others a good refresher, and for some this may be the first time they've looked at this passage and they can understand and parse what the Bible has said. Mankind who acts in this way towards God, who rejects and blasphemes the Holy Spirit, face a horrific punishment. These people will be completely cut off. There is no forgiveness. There is no hope. Let us let that not be the description of us. May we turn to the Lord, listen to the commands, repent of our sins, and allow the Bible to direct our steps. If you have any need, please come forward as we sing the invitation song.